Good morning, Greater Alton. Is everybody enjoying the wonderful weather we're having? Enjoy it. It's great. We deserve it after the winter time. And so sit back and have a good time. So anyway, guys, we have been talking about the conversion stories in the book of Acts. And we've actually been looking at the book of Acts, we are as a church, in our small groups for the whole year. And looking at what it has to say, we have a commentary that we're helping by the guy named by the name of N.T. Wright that we are reading while we study the Bible. I guess I want to encur- I want to I want to emphasize that or encourage that. I was uh, I got to have a conversation with with uh, uh, Bob Hawkins this week, and Bob was 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 I don't know what the word was. He he. he <laughs> way to go, Bob. Challenging me, encouraging me. The way I worded something last time, it sounded like we were encouraging reading the commentary over studying the Bible. And I uh, don't, don't mean to communicate that. Uh, and as Bob, was, Bob and I talked, he says, I see now that you're reading the commentary and studying the Bible. And that is the way that that should be. Uh, when your commentary is man's thought, it's one man's thoughts. And this guy has, has some that I believe are insightful. Some others I question. But guys, I can tell you this, by reading that, it's making me want to go back to the book of the actual Bible and see what it has to say about some things, and to dig deeper. And guys, I find that very encouraging. We're talking, again, about uh, conversions, and the the title that Tim gave this lesson is U-Turn. You need to make a turn. You need to make a change. And that's what repentance is, is that when you're going in one direction, you decide to go the other direction. And the, 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 word, the word, the Greek word that is translated repentance is talking about having a change in thought process, in changing the way you think. And I want to let you know, guys, I'm repenting as I study the book of Acts again. I am changing the way I think. I am, God has challenged me. He is pointing things out to me that I hadn't seen before, that I hadn't noticed before, or that I had noticed and hadn't given much attention to. This morning in the teacher's service, nobody showed up. And so uh, I assume it was because of the retreat, you know, and I understand that. But the, I don't know where the men were at. But me and, me and Tim and Danny Gill and uh, Chris Weiler was there and Bob Bader was there and I believe James Mitchell was there. And we, we just sat in a little circle and we talked about the lesson today. And I asked the question right off the bat because it was more of a discussion than it was me, me speaking of, has the book of Acts changed the way you're doing anything? Has studying the book of Acts changed the way you live your life? Because it is me. I'm changing the way I go through my daily life. And guys, I find it very exciting. One of the things that's just jumping out to me that I believe I personally and us as a church has not paid enough attention to is the Holy Spirit. I mean, that's it. Now, I'm not talking about the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Let's just set them aside. It's a whole other study. The, the whole, Holy Spirit did a whole lot more than, than just inspire these gifts. And you see all kinds of things going on, like we're the, uh, led by the Spirit. Somebody talked to somebody. Led by the Spirit. A person went somewhere. And guys, I believe that that can take place. I, you know, and I'm changing the way I live. I've always been a friendly guy, but a couple weeks ago, I was being friendly, and all of a sudden I noticed something that I don't think I would have noticed had I not been looking and, and seeing these things, if I hadn't been repenting. And I, 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 I'm being friendly up at Quick Trip in Bethalto, and all of a sudden I run into a homeless couple who's trying to get to Edwardsville. 
And they had left Alton the night before. This is like 8.30 in the morning. And they went to Bethalto, made a wrong turn somewhere, and they needed to get to Edwardsville. And I ended up giving him a ride to Edwardsville and just telling him, look, I'm a servant of Jesus. And I believe that Jesus wants to use me to let other people know that he sees them and he sees their needs and he's willing to meet their needs. That was my, that was my, my testimony. That was what I shared with them. Can I tell you, six months ago I might have missed that opportunity. I mean, guys, it's changing me. And I hope that's what's going on with you too. I hope you're not just reading the commentary by N.T. Wright and go, well, I've done my assignment. Okay? I hope that God is speaking to you and saying, hmm, what's that he's talking about? Hmm. I noticed that this is talked about in several places. Let's go study about that. Let's ask some questions about that. And guys, that's what's going on. And that's what today I'm talking about Acts chapter 2. And that Acts chapter 2 is very significant. If you've grown up in the churches of Christ or the Christian church like I did, you know Acts 2, don't you? I was telling them, I grew up in the Christian church, uh, went to a couple different ones in the Alton area, and I can't tell you how many sermons I heard that were centered around Acts chapter 2 and verse 38. I think I, I memorize a child, I memorize Acts 2.38 before I memorize John 3.16. And if you would have asked me before the age of 20 anything about Acts 2, I would have told you Acts 2.38. Repent and be baptized. Have your sins forgiven. Receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. That's what I would have done. And then, somewhere around the age of 21, I, got, I left, started attending the church that would become the Greater Alton Church, and I learned there's more in Acts 2 than verse 38. Specifically, I learned verses 22 to 23 and also verse 36. And you you want to paraphrase what that says is, Jesus was put to death because of my sin. That's what, oh man, I know more. There's more in there than I thought. Wow, look at this. Look what I'm able to share now. Let's go from there. And I also learned a little bit about the the gifts and speaking in tongues that happened in the first part of that chapter and how it's they were speaking known languages. Boy, that's what I know about Acts chapter 2. And guys, I want to let you know, when, I read my, when I'm reading this now, I'm noticing there's some things I've left out. Okay, I've whittled Acts 2 down to just a few points. Alright, and I, I'm just guessing that maybe I'm not the only one that's done that. And so guys, that's what I talk about when I titled this lesson, The Rest of the Story. This is personal for me. Because there's more there than I've been used to recognizing. And then I've acknowledged. And guys, that's what we want to talk about today. The rest of the story in Acts chapter 2. And hopefully, guys, you're going you're gonna to see the same thing I am. Hopefully you have the same kind of attitude uh, of just saying, Listen, God, if there's something I'm missing, I want to know about it. I have... I've made this statement several times and I'm going to continue to make it because I just believe it's so true and it's, we are so, as human beings, we are slow, so slow to change. We really are most of the time. And that is the vast majority of my walk with Jesus. I have been guilty of what Paul writes in 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 5 where he talks about the people there and he says they had a form of godliness but deny its power. And I've been there, guys. 
And that's one of the things that God's showing me is there is power in his gospel. Is that right? That's what Romans 1.16 tells us. Is there's power in the gospel. But let me tell you something. What if there's, I mean, you believe there's power in the gospel? And you leave out two parts of it. I believe you're, you're leaving out a whole bunch of the power. And guys, that's what we want to talk about. That's what we want to look at here today in Acts chapter 2. I put this very simply as a simple outline of Peter's sermon. And guys, I'm just going to talk about what I see in this. What was his sermon about? His sermon is about more than repent and be baptized because you killed Jesus. And that's what I've whittled it down to. The first thing we want to talk about is that Jesus was or is the Messiah. I mean, he was telling them, hey guys, he's the Messiah. He came. Now, I don't know about what you think about when you hear the word Messiah. Okay? It, it basically, the word Messiah is a translation of the Greek word Christos, which can just as easily be translated Christ. Alright? And is a description. If you go back and look at the Greek, it talks about being the anointed one. The Christ. The Messiah. And just a side note, Christ was not Jesus' last name. Okay? He's saying Jesus is the Messiah. Jesus is the Christ. Jesus is the Anointed One. Now, a more practical working definition that helps you understand what's going on in the first century when they talked about the Messiah is an expected deliverer. Okay, he was the anointed one. Why? Because he was going to deliver the people. They had, it had been prophesied for centuries about this Christ. And there are literally hundreds of prophecies about the Messiah. And I have a whole, 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 whole bunch of verses here. But if you look at the first one here, this is in your notes in Acts chapter 2. This is in verses 31 and 36. This is what it says. Seeing what was to come... He spoke of the resurrection of the Messiah. Then in verse 36, he says that let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. Guys, this is one of the primary messages of Peter's lesson here in Acts 2 is Jesus is the Messiah. Now he goes on to say, and you killed him, you missed it, you killed him. But the point is, he is the Messiah. Now I have a question for you. How much do you know about the Messiah? Now I'm not asking how much you know about Jesus. I'm asking how much do you know about these prophecies? What was the Messiah supposed to be like? You see, guys, this is very significant. Later on, you find when they're talking to non-Jewish people in the book of Acts, they've got to explain this Messiah thing to them. These people understood Messiah. In fact, they understood it so much that they were expecting it. Let me show you some passages here. And these are just going to be up on the screen. If you want to jot them down for future reference, you can. 
if, or if you have any kind of electronic Bible, it's very simple to search out the word Messiah and you'll find these yourself. But in Matthew chapter 2 and verse 4, this is Herod. This is about Herod. And he was concerned. He heard about this king being born. He said, when he, called, when he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. See, guys, they were expecting the Messiah. Even Herod goes, wait a minute, I've heard about this. There's supposed to be a king that's going to be born. I'm a king. This is a problem. Where is he supposed to be born? And Herod's goal is to try to kill him. And I don't include it in this, but the the teachers of the law went on to tell him, oh, he's supposed to be born in Bethlehem. (laughs) Everybody knows that. You go, he was, but there was an expectation. The next one, Luke chapter 2. It says, now there was a man in Jerusalem named Simeon who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel and the Holy Spirit was on him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. Luke chapter 3 and verse 15, they're talking about John the Baptist. And it says, the people were waiting expectantly and were all wondering in their hearts if John might possibly be the Messiah. You see, guys, there was excitement about this. Is him? Could this be the Messiah we've heard so much about? This is the atmosphere in which Jesus was living and carrying out his ministry. John 1, verse 24 and 25 says, Now the Pharisees who had been sent questioned him. They're talking about John the Baptist. He says, Why then do you baptize if you are not the Messiah, nor Elijah, nor the prophet? Why do you do this? You're looking like the Messiah. You're acting like the Messiah, but you're telling us you're not the Messiah. Why do you do it? Matthew chapter 11. When John, who was in prison, heard about the deeds of the Messiah, he sent his disciples to ask him, Are you the one who's to come? Or should we expect someone else? Guys, there was such a level of excitement about the Messiah. They were constantly looking for him. Matthew 22, Jesus kind of turns the table on them. He says, while the Pharisees were gathered together, Jesus asked them, What do you think about the Messiah? Whose son is he? Okay, they were to- it was a common topic. John chapter 4, the woman at the well. The woman said, I know that Messiah called Christ is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Guys, then when you jump down to John, there's a whole conversation here. And I've, I've kind of put it into three different sections. Um, and this is what it is. It says, that at, at that point, some of the people of Jerusalem began to ask, Isn't this the man they're trying to kill? Here he is speaking publicly, and they are not saying a word to him. Have the, you know, have the authorities really concluded that he is the Messiah? But we know where this man is from. When the Messiah comes, no one will know where he is from. At this, they tried to seize him, but no one laid a hand on him because his hour had not yet come. Still many in the crowd believed in him. They said, when the Messiah comes, will he perform more signs than this man? On hearing his words, some of the people said, surely this man is the prophet. Then in verses 41 and 42, it says, Others said he is the Messiah. Still others asked, How can the Messiah come from Galilee? 
Does not the Scripture say that the Messiah will come from David's descendants and from Bethlehem, the town where David lived? Guys, when you look through all those passages, correct me if I'm wrong, but do you not see this expectation for the Messiah? This excitement, they're looking, maybe this is him. Are you him? No, I'm not him. And who is it? Look at this guy, it might be him. How could a if the Messiah is the Messiah going to perform more miracles than Jesus? It must be him. Nobody can perform more miracles than Jesus. And that you see this expectation, but did you also notice a bit of a confusion there? I mean, especially in those last those last three verses, and they're all in your notes. But the first group says, "How can he be the Messiah? We know where this man comes from. Nobody knows where the Messiah comes from." And they're talking about because he's from Galilee, and he says. And then the last group says, well, we know the Messiah is supposed to come from Bethlehem. One group says, we don't know where he comes from. Well, the other says, oh, yeah, we know where he's supposed to come from. And, guys, that's what's going on. There's this, understand, there's this general acceptance that the Messiah is coming. This general understanding that he is real and that he's going to deliver us. They, but there was also some, a lot of confusion. And a lot of misunderstanding about what the Messiah was supposed to be like. It got to the point, and, and you have to understand, a lot of the prophecies about the Messiah. And I pers- and in my personal time and personal study, I'm going back and looking at these prophecies right now. Because I want to understand them. But they're written in what's considered apocalyptic language. And what that means is it's kind of cryptic. It doesn't just say, Jesus will be born in Bethlehem. Or, you know, the Messiah will be born in Bethlehem. His name will be Jesus. His mother's name will be Mary. His father's name will be Joseph. Though he's not really the father, because Mary was a virgin when he was born. And go on and give a great, in great details. It speaks in language that is a little bit difficult to understand. Even to the point where when Jesus was very plain with his apostles, and he told them, hey... The Messiah's got to suffer. He's got to be turned over to the chief priest. He's going to be mistreated. He's going to be crucified. And on the third day, he's going to rise again. I mean, he was plain for once. Okay? Nothing cryptic about it. But the apostles were so used to the, the, to the apocalyptic language, to the, the, the cryptic speak, so to speak, that they, go, they wondered amongst themselves, what does he mean by rise from the dead? Guys, that's the way it was. That's the way they were. And they're looking at this. Now I ask the question, again, how much do you know about the Messiah? How much do you know? Guys, there's a whole lot more to what the promised Messiah than just, He's going to die for our sins. There's a whole lot more to it. And guys, I encourage you, I, I... I want you to look at this. I ask, how much do you talk about it? How much do you understand the Messiah? Because just like I talked about, Acts 2 is the very first time that the gospel is preached. It's the very first time that it's presented to people. And it's done in a very dramatic way. And we have it recorded, not in its entirety. Tim wanted me to emphasize later in 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 Acts 2, near the end, after Peter told people to repent and be baptized, he said, with many other words, he warned them. Okay? That's Tim's justification for how long he speaks on Sunday morning. <laughs> with many other words. I told him, Tim, they're kind of generic there. They didn't say how long he talked. But guys, it's recorded there. And what's recorded is significant. Significant. 
And here's the deal. Here's my question. If you do not understand the Messiah and what he was all about, can you accurately communicate the gospel? I mean, you have to at least have a general understanding about this. You're leaving something out if we're not telling people about this promised Messiah. And and you don't have to go through every prophecy, but you can tell them, oh my goodness, all these things that they were done, all these things that were expected of him. Because Jesus was him. Jesus was him. Guys, I encourage you to look at Acts chapter chapter 8 and verse 5. This is what it says. It says, those who had been scattered by the word preached wherever they went. Philip went down to a city in Samaria and proclaimed the Messiah there. Guys, I point that out just for one simple reason. All they do is take one little verse to say, Philip went and told people the good news. And there's so many other ways that telling the good news is presented. It's presented as as explaining the kingdom of God. He preached the kingdom of God. They preached the word. But in this one place it says he proclaimed the Messiah there. And guys, I just I, I challenge you to look at how much are you proclaiming the Messiah? If not, are you really presenting the gospel? Second thing that you notice here in Peter's sermon is that the resurrection is real. The resurrection is real. Now when you talk about the resurrection, when you mention it here with us, you probably think of one of two things. You either think of, well no, you probably think of one thing, and that's the resurrection of Jesus. When somebody says the resurrection, you think about the resurrection of Jesus. Well, the Bible speaks of two things. He speaks of the resurrection of Jesus, and it speaks of the resurrection. Well, what's the resurrection? The resurrection is when everybody raises from the dead. And the Jews were anticipating this. The Jews expected this. There was a little bit of debate about it. I mean, if, in fact, to the point of, uh, and it's, there's a couple different places in the Bible where this, is, where this is discussed. One is later on in Acts. One is in Matthew 22. Uh, it's also in Mark, I believe. But it's where the Sadducees come to Jesus and they ask him a question about the resurrection. Now, what it tells you very plainly is, and it was, was kind of humorous about the Sadducees asking the question, is the Sadducees didn't believe in the resurrection. The Pharisees did, the Sadducees did not. But the resurrection was a common common understanding. Even if they didn't believe in it, they knew what it was. They knew that there's people who believe that there's going to become a time when God's going to show up and everybody that's dead is going to rise from the dead. They call that the resurrection. Now, I don't know about you, but that sounds kind of good to me. I mean, especially you look at our world today. And the way we cling to life. The way we will do anything to prolong life. I I was with the teens the other night and I asked the question, okay, if you found out you were terminally ill right now, how, how far in debt would you go for the cure? Have you ever thought about that? I mean, I know that's why we want health insurance, right? But that was the question. How far in debt would you go for the cure? Because, guys, most of us cling to life... I'm not really... My biggest fear in dying is leaving my family without me around. 
And not from a financial standpoint, because I do have life insurance, but from a standpoint of me just being here. That's it. Otherwise, take me, Jesus. And I'm completely serious about that. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not trying to be, be uh, um, frivolous with it. I'm just saying, I'm not afraid to die. Why? Because of the resurrection. Okay? The promise of Jesus is that if you believe in Him, you will live forever. That sounds kind of nice. And, and, and there's a side note. I'm not going to get into this real deeply. But 1 Corinthians 15 tells me that at the resurrection, I get a new body. And at the age of 53, yeah, Charlie, you're excited too, ain't you? Anybody over the age of 45 knows what I'm talking about. You youngsters don't appreciate it yet. But think, this body does not function the way it used to. All right? I've decided I need to try to do some exercise. Do you know what I have to do? I am walking. Yes. You know why I'm walking? Because these muscles aren't used to doing much more. I'm walking with the dog. Okay? And that's what I'm doing. Up to the age of about 30, I could go run six miles at the drop of a hat. I can't do that anymore. This body is not good. Guys, the resurrection says that you're going to have a new body. But let's look at this a little deeper, all right? Here in Acts chapter 2, this is what Paul, this is what Peter's talking about. And if you look at the guys, you look at about eight verses in the, in the, in the book of Acts, in, the, in Acts 2. That's the focus. He spends a lot of time talking about the resurrection as Jesus. But this is what he says in 31 and 32. He says, seeing what was to come, he spoke of the resurrection of the Messiah, that he was not abandoned to the realm of the dead, nor did his body see decay. God has raised this Jesus to life, and we are all witnesses of it. Now guys, I have another question for you. How much do you talk about the resurrection? How much do you talk? Because there's a wonderful opportunity to share the good news of Jesus when somebody is talking about either losing a loved one or, or that they're, they're close to death or, there is a, or, or just the general topic of people dying. You can, you can talk. There's a wonderful door wide open to say, well, let's talk about the resurrection. But guess what? We can't talk about it if we don't know about it. Guys, this is, this is Gospel 101 in Acts 2. And he talked about the Messiah and he talked about the resurrection. Peter was saying it's real. Now here's some other passages that are going to have up on the screen, guys, that I just, I just want to emphasize these points, the, the, the common awareness of the resurrection. The first one is found in John chapter 11. This is right before Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. What's Martha say? I know that he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. She's saying, I believe in the resurrection. I believe in the last day. Yeah, we're all going to rise. I'll get to be back with my brother. And we know Jesus goes on to give her, give, give her her brother back right then. Luke 14. 
This is Jesus talking. He's talking about, he's giving instructions about how you live in this world. And he says, but when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed. Although they cannot repay you, you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. This is Jesus talking about, and he's, he's mentioning as if, just as it's fact. You want to treat, treat people who can't pay you back because you'll benefit at the resurrection. If you jump down to Acts 24, there's a passage, and this is the one I was talking about. This is where the Apostle Paul is on trial. He's, uh, the Jews have brought him to the Romans to try, to try to get him to shut up about Jesus. He's literally what's going on. And in the middle of his defense, he says, And now I have the same hope in God as these men themselves have. Talking about his accusers, talking about the Jewish people. That there will be a resurrection of both the righteous and the wicked. Guys, how do they, when you look through all those passages, how do they speak about the resurrection? They speak about it as if it is a real event. They are planning on it. They're expecting it, they're hoping in it, and they're planning on it. Now, why is that so important? You see, guys, and what's the connection between Jesus and us? Guys, I found a quote here that goes along. I want to read this to you. It's by a gentleman by the name of Henry M. Morris. He has a, uh, a website that he works with on uh, creationism. He says, Before his resurrection took place, however, there was no historical record to give such assurance. And the only hope of resurrection during the thousands of years before Christ came had to be gleaned from the prophecies in God's inspired word. And what he's saying is that Jesus raising from the dead was proof that the resurrection is real. Guys, that was very significant. He goes, without Jesus raising from the dead, there's basically what's called a hope only in what God had to say. Guys, we don't have to hope just for what God has to say. There's proof that Jesus rose from the dead. In 1 Corinthians, this is what it says. 1 Corinthians, and you, you, want to know about, you want to know about the resurrection, you need to go to 1 Corinthians 15. Alright? It is the commentary written by God, okay, about the resurrection. But guys, I want, to, I want to focus in on three verses here, and they're in verses 12 through 14. And what it says is, But if it is preached that Christ has been raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? If there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless, and so is your faith. See, guys, right off the bat, and this is what Peter is saying. He's saying, guys, Jesus is raised from the dead, and that is proof that the, the, the resurrection of the dead is going to happen. And what he's saying is, these are inexplicably connected. Not inexplicably, they're totally connected. If there's no resurrection of the dead, then Jesus didn't raise from the dead. If Jesus didn't raise from the dead, then there's no resurrection of the dead. 
See guys, sometimes, and I ask the question again, how much do you talk about the resurrection of the dead? How much do you talk about the resurrection of Jesus? See, I grew up going to church, and it was just kind of a given. You know, let's move on to some more uncertain stuff. It was kind of my thought on Jesus rising from the dead. Yeah, I, I believe that, I understand that. How could you not? You know, because I was taught it since I was a child. But guys, it gets ignored, and it is of major significance. Look at this last passage here. This is the Hebrews 6 passage, Pat, is what I went up there. Hebrews chapter 6, verses 1 and 2. And what this is about, in the end of Hebrews 5, the Hebrew writer is telling the people, you should be teachers by now. Basically, you've had, you have chosen immaturity. And he's trying to move them on to maturity, and this is what he says. He says, therefore, let us move beyond the elementary teachings about Christ and be taken forward to maturity, not laying again the foundation of repentance from acts that lead to death and of faith in God, instructions about cleansing rites, the laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead. And eternal judgment. Guys, what's the point there? My point is very simple. The resurrection of the dead was one of the foundational, fundamental teachings of early Christianity. And I find that I don't talk about it near enough. I find that I'm nervous to talk about it around other people because as a group, I don't believe we focus on it or give it enough attention. I don't think we understand it enough. We're very similar to the people in Hebrews, except we haven't had it laid out for us fundamentally. You know, in our little discussion during first service, or what was supposed to be first service this morning, uh, I use, come up with a, a wonderful illustration. You know, in basketball, they say what, what wins games is fundamentals. All right? Fundamentals. Dribbling the ball, passing the ball, shooting the ball. Right? Those are fundamentals. Can you imagine a basketball team that goes out there and can shoot the ball really well and can pass the ball really well but doesn't dribble the ball? I was told there were some teams like that in our tournament. I won't name any names. Somebody brought up names. I I won't do that. But guys, that sounds ridiculous. They would not be in the NBA Finals. They would not be in the final four. They would be a, they would be a sideshow freak show, is what they would be like. The Harlem Globe, no, Harlem Globetrotters are good basketball players, but you would you would it would it would be a show. Let's see the team that doesn't dribble the ball. That would be a fun way. Oh, that's kind of fun to watch once. Not eighty-two games a year, though. Guys, that's what we're like if we're trying to share the gospel of Jesus. And don't, don't know about the resurrection. Guys, that's why, G, that's why Peter is talking about it so plainly right here. You go a step further, guys. Romans chapter 10 and verse 9. And I promise my last two points are really quick, okay? Romans chapter 10 and verse 9. It says, If you declare with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. When is the last time you were at a baptism and you heard somebody say, Jesus is Lord, and I believe that God raised Him from the dead? 
You know, I've prepped people. You know, when we baptize people, we get in the back room and say, look, this is what's going to happen. You know, hold your arm this way and pinch your nose so water don't go up your nose. It's kind of like a common thing. And it keeps your arms under the water too. And uh, we're going to ask you what you believe about Jesus. And you need to, you know, if you don't say something about Him being Lord, I'm just going to ask you, do you, are you making Him Lord of your life? And you just need to answer yes. I've never once quizzed anybody. Do you believe Jesus raised from the dead? Because according to this, if you don't believe God Jesus raised from the dead, guess what? You're just getting wet. You're just getting wet. Moving on, moving on. The last two things in this, in this lesson I want to talk about. third thing that Peter talked about is that Jesus reigns now and forever. And what he means by that is Jesus is king. The prophecies about the Messiah is that he would be king. And this is what he's saying in Acts chapter 2, verse 33 through 35. He says, exalted to the right hand of God. He has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit and has poured out what you now see and hear. For David did not ascend to heaven, and yet he said, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Guys, what's the significance of Jesus reigning? He's been crowned king. You see, guys, you can't have a kingdom without a king. And he's telling the people, not only was Jesus the Messiah, and not only did you kill him, And not only did he raise from the dead, he's king right now. I'm I'm always reminded when I think about this, some of you older people like myself may remember the movie Flatliners from the 90s. And it was basically medical students who had decided, let's let's stop each other's hearts and then bring them back. Let's, Let's kill each other for two minutes and we'll bring you back. So you can see what it's like. Okay, that's the term. You know, they hooked you up to the monitors, made sure you flatlined, and then they shocked you and brought you back. Sounds like a fun game to play, doesn't it? What they discovered, and the movie's purely fictional, is that those who had flatlined, those who had died and came back, all of a sudden started being haunted by by the sins of their past. And one of the guys said, I want to say it was Kiefer Sutherland, I'm not sure which actor it was, but he says... They're, they're, all, they're, all, they're all freaking out about it. And he says, guys, our sins have found us out, and they're not happy. Guys, that's kind of what I see going on here. What he's saying, but Jesus was the Messiah. You killed him. God made him king. He rose from the dead. <laughs> You're in trouble. <laughs> I mean, I think that's what people said when we're in verse 36. I think that's their motivation behind. They were cut to the heart. What should we do? What should we do? This guy's king. Guys, Paul, Peter's response to them was to serve the king. That was his response. Serve him now. And that's the last thing I want to talk about. It says, with many other words, he warned them and pleaded with them, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Those who accepted or believed his message were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. Guys, when you understand that Jesus was the Messiah, 
and he rose from the dead, and that you're responsible, you're, he, he died because of your sin. And that he's reigning as king now. The proper response is to start serving him now. And guys, that is, when I asked the question earlier about how is the book of Acts changing you? How is it changing the way you live on a daily basis? See guys, when you get up in the morning, you have certain choices on how you're going to do it. You know, what, what are you going to be focused on? And I, guys, I want my focus to be on how do I serve you today, Jesus? How do I serve you today? How can I share this good news that you've given me? And guys, that changes the way I live my days. Let me rephrase that. That's changing the way I live my days. Guys, that's the message of Acts 2. I don't know where you are today. I don't know what you think about it today. Guys, my point in, in, in today is just to try to get you to look at things a little clearer. To look at things a little deeper. I can never begin to, to fully explain the Messiah or the resurrection on one Sunday morning. But I believe we have got to pay attention to the fact that those two topics in particular, we've not given enough attention to. And we've, sh- we, we've whittled the gospel down to less than what it should be. Guys, the encouraging part is it's not hard to find these things out. God has given us His Holy Spirit, which Peter talked about, to lead us into all truth. And you decide you want to know more about this, God will open the doors for you to find out about this. That's our lesson. Let's pray, and you guys can sing. Father, it is great. It is, it is incredible to know that you truly do answer our prayers. That, Father, we seek in you. You, you, you show us. Father, right now, I, I, I've just confessed. I have, I have neglected understanding Jesus as Messiah. I've neglected understanding all the prophecies about the Messiah. I knew him in general. I knew he was supposed to be born in Bethlehem and, and the virgin birth, and he was supposed to suffer. I mean, Isaiah 53 is pretty clear. But, Father, there's a whole lot more to that than that. And, I, and, Father, I'm really guilty of not sharing that with other people. I just tell them about Jesus and about their sin and about how he wants them to follow him. Father, you're showing me more. You're opening my, my eyes to more. And, Father, I just want to pray right now that everyone in this room can grab a hold of that. And to know that no matter where they are, you want to show them more. You want them to make a U-turn in how they think and how they act. Father, I believe you want us to be people who are talking about the resurrection. Father, I believe there's wonderful opportunity with the focus that the people of America have on life and on the holding on to life, dare I say the clinging on to life. There is a wonderful opportunity, a wonderful open door to try to share with people that, hey, you can live forever. Father, we've got to know what that's all about. Father, help us as a group. Help us as people. Help us as individuals to share the gospel that you've given us to share. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.